Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Welcome back, everybody, to another Silver Club podcast, the 40th edition of our podcast. So glad you've made it this far with us. The first 39 have been a trip, and we've tied you into the fabric of this great game that we all love, from the great teaching minds of Bob Ford and Boyd Summerhays to some of the characters in the game, like Jason Gore or Vinnie Giles. We just love bringing you all these stories that help connect you with this great game that we all love. Don't forget to hop on and subscribe and download all of our podcasts and write some reviews for us too. All those great reviews really help boost our notoriety in the podcast world. So we cannot do this thing without you. Just a quick note on the Silver Club Golfing Society events. We'll be in Chicago on August 27th. We'll be in Dallas on September 23rd. We'll be in Denver on October 15th. And we'll be in Atlanta on November 5th. Check out our website at silverclubgs.com for all of these great venues that we go to. Architecturally significant venues you're not going to want to miss traveling to. All of these events lead into our Silver Club Championship, November 16th to the 18th. In the heart of North Carolina, at the wonderful Pine Needles Resort, we'll play both Pine Needles and Mid Pines for our Silver Club Championship, and only our top point earners will gain a spot into this event. And you can't earn points if you don't play and join our society. So hop on our website, like I said, silverclubgs.com, and learn about everything that we're doing. We're also on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. I'd be remiss if we didn't thank our sponsors of our Silver Club Golfing Society. The Dunhill Brand, Leith Silver Company, The Winston Collection, Turtleson, and Torch Eyewear. All of these great companies are so tied into this game, and we really thank them for all of their support. Okay, without further ado, let's get to our podcast today. Colin and I sit down with Will Smith and Mike McCartan of the National Links Trust. Their first mission in the game is focused on the extraordinary opportunity to improve the golf courses and enhance the facilities at three municipal courses in our nation's capital, East Potomac Park, Langston, and Rock Creek Park. Thanks to Will and Mike for sitting down with us and explaining their vision behind the National Links Trust. In the midst of a pandemic and all the chaos and unsettling news that we hear every single day, our next two guests are coming at you with some great news. Welcome Will Smith and Mike McCartan to the Silver Club Podcast. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for having us. Hey, guys. Really happy to have you, the dynamic duo, if you will, behind the National Links Trust. Really tremendous work that you guys have done thus far to garner some awareness of affordable golf in really in the the nation's capital. Let's get into uh, a little bit of the background before we get into the process and and a few of these other things. How do you guys know each other? So Mike and I met at the uh, University of Georgia. We were um, both getting our master's in landscape architecture and we bonded very quickly because both of us wanted to get into the golf course design and construction uh, business and uh, even even more so um, because we are both from from DC. So um, we had a love for of the uh, the Washington Football Club. I think is is the is their working name right now. Um, and Mike and I became fast friends and you know played golf and 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 shared a, a drink or two in in Athens and uh, and have been friends ever since uh, since then. I think that was two thousand three or four, right, Mike? 2005 I believe 2005 yeah 2004 2005 yeah. would have been the school year yeah because we only overlapped by one year in school um and uh <clears throat> Will you know it would have been a, a a more fun experience if Will was around all you know three years that I was there for sure and I, I wrote I wrote my thesis um about 
designing a class uh, to teach golf course architecture to to undergrads. Um, and uh, I taught that class um, my last year at Georgia. Um, and then the following year, Troy Miller, who actually is the golf course architect who's working on the renovation of the Charleston Muni uh, down, down in South Carolina, taught the class. And then the year after that, uh, actually the two years after that, right, Mike? Yeah, I got it two years in a row. Yeah, Mike taught, taught the class, so. Uh, and there's a through line and on you know Georgia golf and uh, municipal golf. Well, I won't hold that against you being a Florida Gator. I it's a little south of you in Gainesville down there, but uh, <laughs> you guys have gotten our number on the football field, and hopefully we'll see some football this fall. But uh, uh, the National Links Trust, who came up with the name? I actually don't know, but it was a pretty collective effort um, amongst us and a few other people. Um, we were trying to think of something that would um, encapsulate both uh, the opportunity in DC as well as nationwide. And it, you know, because the DC courses are, um, you know, were, are kind of, they're owned by the National Park Service. They're, they're, they really do belong to the country. And they also were designed originally to be, you know, models for the rest of the country as well. So. Um, the name itself kind of comes from that, plus the St. Andrews Links Trust, where there's a lot of overlap in terms of the ideals and principles behind things we think are important in golf, and um, that would apply just as well here in the U.S. Mike, tell us about tell us about your thesis. I'm I'm very impressed that it's that you sort of uploaded it and shared it publicly, and it and it was. And it, you know this exhaustively researched and detailed and meticulously and lovingly uh, assembled document. Um, I was very was very impressed to read it and skim it. Um, to, you know, among was that your first choice as a project in, at at Georgia? Yeah, and before I get into that, I assume that everybody's um, you know assumption when when they start their thesis and they finish it is that. Um, between them, you know, the author and their thesis board and, you know, whoever else is forced to read it in the process, like your wife or girlfriend, that those are the only people who will ever see those words. So it's crazy that um, other people have read this. Um, you know, that, so yeah, it was my first choice. I, I was looking for a reason to write about, um, you know, public golf and what could be done to make um, you know, from a design perspective, but also, you know, holistically looking at a golf course operation, what can be done to um, minimize costs uh, and show that you can offer something at an affordable um, rate to, to golfers that is really interesting architecturally. Um, I just, having been involved in golf course construction, you kind of get, you, you realize pretty early on that there's no extra cost associated with a shaper. If somebody's going to build a green, building any random green is the same cost as building something that's really cool. It's just about the thought and effort put into it by the person doing the design work or operating the machinery. And so, you know, obviously there are some things that, you know, tend to cost more in golf, but I don't think it really relates to design. A lot of it is maintenance and, how the how the design work is you know presented. So I wanted to work all of that sort of stuff into the thesis and and um, and and find a place that uh, would be a a, um, a canvas or whatever, just like an example through which you know those ideas could be talked about. And that's where East Potomac came about, and mostly because of my familiarity growing up, you know, in the region and and playing there so often as a kid um and the fact that it's just such a special place um you know uh in golf for me but i think for a lot of people um you know and, and that it fit all the kind of categories of of things that uh would would help it apply to my ideas so. no it's very exciting you got you got three great golf courses for those who haven't known about this very much east potomac park langston and rock creek and they're they're spread out a little bit. A few of them are uh, Langston and East Potomac Park are about five miles apart. And then Rock Creek is on the north side of the city. 
And when this, when this RFP came out and you had to submit it by the end of February, talk about the process, this request for proposal that you had to create and talk about the lengths that it took to, to create it and get the designers who you ultimately have brought together to create it. Yeah, so the RFP was issued in July of um, 2000 and uh, let's see, July of 2019 and was due, um, well, originally it was due in November of 2019, but it was extended. Um, Mike and I really started talking about um, responding to it in earnest, I would say back in, in sort of February or, or March of 19, before before the RFP was issued. We um, had heard heard that it was coming. Um, we had heard, you know, various rumors about different potential uh, results, different potential proposals that might might happen. Um, and so we we um, we sat down and talked about it. And you know, at first, we, all we wanted to do was sort of tell the story of these great places, these the, both the architectural history and the cultural histories of these these three wonderful spots. Um, and then we realized that the best way to ensure that the right thing uh, happened uh, at these places was to actually put together a team and and respond uh, to the RFP. We actually went. Um, Mike presented at the Outpost Club uh, winter meeting in February of of uh, of, of fourteen uh, of nineteen. Excuse me. Um, and you know, I think it was sort of an eye opener to us because we knew these stories. We knew that there was you know relevance and it might connect with people in the DC area but here we here Mike was in a group of of golf nerds from across the country um and started telling telling the histories and you know there were people who were sort of interrupting him and be like and sort of saying wait a minute wait a minute there was a reversible William Flynn golf course I mean a Walter Travis golf course in the middle of Washington DC that's the coolest thing ever and I think at that point we sort of realized that you know this is this is a national these are national treasures and they really needed to be protected. Yeah, and I mean, the context of that is important too. One of the reasons we, you know, uh, thought that telling the stories and the histories of the courses was gonna be powerful was that the um, prior direction and this, the, the idea that investments needed to be made in these three courses has gone back, um, you know, 20 years now. And over the course of that time, there have been literal bills in Congress that have um, discussed making investments in the courses. And every single time it comes up, it's always with the idea that the investment would, would go towards creating at least one really high-end course that would charge, you know, $300 around to, you know, anybody coming from around the country. Maybe it gives a discount to locals, kind of taking the Tory Pines or Bethpage model. Um, but whatever it would do, it would kind of fundamentally change the nature of the courses um, for good and do it in a way that would change the culture of the golf courses, you know, for, in our opinion, bad. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, that we can get into about why we think it would be bad. But, um, but when you have a, like a, a set of treasures with such great histories like these three courses, the you know, the direction that they take, you know, we think should be informed by those histories. And, you know, obviously there's a movement in golf around restoration of, um, of golf courses and, and there's a reason that's going on. And when you couple that with, um, you know, the, the lineage of the courses and the, you know, um, how they came about and, and how well thought of they were when they were built and the function and benefit to society that they've brought, um, you know, looking back as an inform informer for future, you know, efforts there is is a no brainer. But a lot of people just have and and still do have no idea what rich histories the courses actually have. And so that was the genesis of the let's just tell the story and hopefully that will influence the direction. Right, right. Now, when you create this proposal, obviously, uh, it's 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 several uh Tens of pages long. I've never done this before, but I can imagine how how long, how many hours and blood, sweat, and tears you put into that. But it's not just you. Who else has kind of helped you along the way in 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 getting this whole thing together and really coming to fruition now? 
Well, Steve, I know you're a, a big uh, social social media user. Uh, and um, so we started to tell that story through our Instagram and Twitter accounts and uh, people started reaching out to us. Um, in particular, a, a, a gentleman named Tim Haig, who is the past president, uh, chairman of the uh, greater, uh, the first tee of greater Washington, DC. Um, he reached out and we, we sat down with him, had meetings with him. He started introducing us to people um, he introduced us to someone who ended up uh, providing office space for us as we were going through this towards Siciliano. Um, and um, it's just amazing how many people were willing to volunteer their time um, to, to help us out. And, um, you know, I'd be remiss not to, to mention um, very early on in the process, almost immediately after the RFP was issued, uh, Troon, um, the the management company uh, agreed to work with us and put their resources, considerable resources, behind helping us out. Um, and so, you know, between the, a, a volunteer force uh, of of locals here in D.C. and also some people across the country, combined with with Troon's, Troon's uh, efforts and resources, um, we were able to grind on this thing and and uh, and get it get it completed. Um, you know the. The month of February was a was a tough one, and uh, <laughs> but we we got it done. Nice. So where do you guys uh, where do you guys stand now? What is what needs to be achieved between now and the, when the uh, lease begins? Well, the first thing would be actually negotiating the lease and signing it with the Park Service. That's that's item number one on our list. Um, Michael, what's the what's the length? Fifty years is the proposal. Um, and I, that, that's well within what uh, the Park Service com contemplated when they put out the RFP. So I don't see that actually being something that we'll be negotiating um, as part of this. But uh, um, we are still really early in that process. So there's not a lot we can say about how it's going or what's likely to happen or the time frame associated with it, other than the handoff um, target date is uh, September 30th. Um, for an October 1st start of our lease. Um, so everything needs to happen between now and then. I was very intrigued when I read about this whole story and tried to understand it, but it's not like you're out there playing a golf tournament where Bryson DeChambeau knows that Rory McIlroy is playing against him or or you, you don't know who you're going up against essentially in this whole process. How difficult was that in trying to take your strengths and maybe balancing them against whoever you're going up against? I think the most important thing from our perspective was sticking to our guns in terms of what we cared about um, and, and how we thought that this project could benefit the community and what that kind of future of, of golf and affordable, public, really good, um, you know, accessible golf could be. And, and, and based on our network within the golf world, putting together, you know, as, as good of a team that, as we could to, you know, kind of fulfill that. What was, I think, really helpful that we might not have foreseen when we got into it was how aligned with the National Park Service's goals our vision was. I mean, it, it's kind of staggering. If you had asked us to write the RFP, trying to put guardrails around what we would like to prioritize and see happen at the courses, I think it would actually look a lot like what the Park Service actually put out, which is, which is crazy. And, and a real testament to the Park Service um, and their commitment to affordable, accessible golf and the histories of the courses. So they did a ridiculously good job of documenting, you know, the, crazy amount of history that's happened at, at the courses. And, and as you can imagine, they're involved in the business of historic preservation um, is one of the major things that they do. And so they really took a historic preservationist approach to this and, and said specifically that, you know, the Walter Travis design of at East Potomac is important to this project. And, um, and you know, we'd like to see potential responders you know, explore restoring the course. Um, you know, then you know, the same with uh, William Flynn at, at Rock Creek and, and the importance of the community 
at all three courses, but in particular at Langston, where there's such a you know rich history of African American golf in in the city. So, I mean, I, it was it was amazing to see the RFP when it finally came through, and we were able to really digest it all and say, well, you know, our roadmap is is here, and so if we do a good job of of telling the story we want to tell, we'll be answering everything the Park Service is asking for, and we'll be putting together a really strong proposal. Yeah, and then you combine that with with Gil Hance and Tom Doak and um, Bo Welling and Mike Kaiser, and uh, yeah, it gets, it, we, we were confident that we had a good response to the RFP, but as you said, this wasn't match play. This was this was playing a, a metal play tournament without any idea what the other other people were doing. So um, all we could do was, was, was do the best we could. And, um, you know, obviously we're thrilled that, that the National Park Service decided to, to work with this and work with us going forward. A dreamlike scenario, really. Let's get into the golf courses. For those who haven't heard about these three golf courses, just let's go through them and give us a sense of some of the underlying concepts between all three and, you know, how are they going to be all different and unique? Well, I think the first thing is they're all located in separate national parks within the city. Um, East Potomac is on a man-made peninsula of land um, that sticks into the Potomac River and abuts the National Mall. Um, It is an amazing location um, in that respect. It's a low-lying, linksy type setting and with the monuments and city as backdrop to the golf course um it sounds like maybe one of the most unique venues in all of golf i've looked at it in the google maps and it it's i've never seen anything like it honestly yeah it's hard to even imagine that a golf course would exist there and and it actually gets back to the reason it does exist there is because the planners for the city realized that it was going the city was going to have such a national um focus you know, in terms of being a, a space for monuments and visitors and reflection on the meaning of the country, that there needed to be, uh, you know, a, a, a component of active recreation as a corollary to that, that would be available both to visitors and to, um, you know, residents of the city. And that whatever you build there should be a complement to, you know, the, the great architecture and plans that were going to be put in place for the, um, the, the National Mall. So, you know, hiring Walter Travis to do to the, do the design there, um, you know, was, is kind of an indication that they were taking this seriously and trying to build as good of a golf course as they could as one of the components of that active recreation plan. How many acres is that island, essentially, or is that is that area? The golf course property is like 250 acres or something. Pl- plenty of acreage for a golf course, great. Yeah, there's three, there's three courses. There's a... Um, you know, the 18-hole blue course, which is the remnant of the Travis course. There's nine-hole executive course, and there's a nine-hole par three course, and three practice holes and a driving range. Wow. So a lot of golf is, is um, you know, on, in that area. Mike, how long How long was the course, for how long was it reversible? What was sort of its, yeah. its arc? So it was reversible from the first nine holes when it opened in 1919. Um, the second nine opened in 1922. And then, um, you know, reversibility hung around through um, World War II. And it was, you know, it's, it's a little bit unclear about exactly when it went away, but um, somewhere in the, in the 40s, uh, the reversibility ended. And, um, and there was a lot of work done around that time to adjust or remove elements of the original course in order to facilitate one directional play. Um, what, um, you know, you play, this is the course of the three you've played the most. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. I grew so, up and it's the first course I ever played. Yeah. Well, t- walk, take us back to your early days of, you know, when, when you didn't know any better, when that was just, you know, all the golf, yeah. the only golf you knew, but what, you know, what was it like at its, at its kind of nadir, so to speak? Yeah. And actually like, I would probably put that nadir in the past, because I feel like the the current superintendent and the current operators have done a really good job presenting what's there, you know, as as good as it possibly can be right now. Um, and that doesn't really have a lot to do with the Travis course, but you know, um, they're still doing a really good job there. Um, the 
you know, as a kid, my dad would take me to the driving range at East Potomac, uh, along with my brothers and sit us behind him as he hit balls. And, um, that was boring enough that I got into golf just by needing to pick up a club and do something while we were there. And I mean, I, you know, hit the, I, I bit the golf bug really hard, right, you know, right away. And so my progression in golf started at East Potomac's range, moved to the par three course, moved to the executive course, early mornings with my dad, just going out and, and playing golf. Um, out there then finally to the the blue course and you know the full length course out there so it's really you know my story would be very similar to a lot of people in the dc area who whether it's east potomac rock creek or langston you know they're they're really great facilities for picking up the game from not knowing anything and and being able to grow as your experience and skill level grows um and and i mean my interest in golf architecture even kind of relates to east potomac i think because as a kid, uh, it, you know, I, I viewed it as, and I, you know, in some respects, it still has some of these elements in my head, but it's kind of like a blank slate of a golf course. There's, it's, it's pretty flat, uh, very flat. Um, you know, there, what's left of the architectural features are fairly basic. The greens don't have a lot going on for the most part, though there are some cool things left over. Anyway, like when you go and see another course after growing up um, there, you're really layering in other elements of, what what makes golf courses special like you're starting to add some topography or some deeper bunkers or you know um contour on greens and each one of those things is a new element to kind of make golf richer and um you know i can't say for sure whether that actually has a um had an impact on my interest in golf architecture but um you know certainly i think it it, it could have and um and and so yeah I, I i was i was hooked on golf architecture too after starting out there so so you're going to bring back this reversibility to east potomac and you're getting the reversible uh, architecture king and tom doak to to get to do this how excited was he when he heard about this I think this falls so squarely under something that tom is the best person to you know, address the restoration of the of the East Potomac course. Not only is he well known for reversibility, given that um, you know he built the loop out in um, Michigan, which is one of the first you know modern reversible golf courses, um, and he's clearly invested in the concept and showing that you know it it uh, you know is really viable and brings something really unique to golf. Um, but he lived in St. Andrews and um, obviously experienced the old course, which can be played in reverse. But beyond that, he's, he's also got to be the, you know, world's expert along with people on his team of Walter Travis golf courses, having consulted at Garden City and Hollywood and Round Hill and, you know, all sorts of places. Um, and so, I mean, when he heard about this, I think um, it was something he was very excited about and interested in from from the get-go i mean the other thing that you could layer in here is that um and and again this might be speaking more for will and me uh but i think it it does carry through a little bit to to tom is that you know we when when i worked in the golf architecture world you end up working on a lot of private courses that only um a few people can play or even if it's banden or stream song where it's very expensive and it's hard to get to and not a lot of people are going to see it or experience it even if it is available to anybody willing to pay the money getting to work on something that uh is truly accessible um and affordable and the place where people pick up the game is a different kettle of fish and and really meaningful because of that yeah it, it's interesting that you say that mike because uh, i think it really does matter to tom um you know the day i think it was the day after um, our announcement about being selected to negotiate. Um, Eric Anders Lang posted a, a, a snippet of a podcast with Tom on his Instagram feed, and you know someone took a shot at Tom in the comments, and Tom, you know, <laughs> very rightly said, "Hey, you know, look, look what National Links Trust just announced that I'm working on. Look at Common Ground. Look at these other projects that I've worked on. That you know, I, while it's true, I've been very fortunate to work on some incredible sites for some wealthy." wealthy developers, I've, I've 
you know, tried to give back to the game as much as I can. And, um, you know, we're, we're honored and thrilled that he decided that this is a project he, he really cared about and wants to get involved in. But you guys are, what's interesting, of course, is these guys are all sort of offering their services pro bono and there isn't any kind of profit motive on, on your parts either. Is the, walk us through how like you anticipate the, um, the revenue and the investments and the renovation monies and the operations to sort of, how is that's all supposed to, uh, how that's all supposed to work? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the concept is that we, we want to, we want to, any money that is, is profit that is made by these courses will go back into the golf courses. Um, you know, we, we believe really strongly that uh, these are incredible places and the more you invest in them, the more um, the community will benefit more. Uh, the golfers of the community will benefit and more, more uh, the game of golf will benefit. Um, and, and that's, that's what we're, we're setting out to do. And, you know, there are going to be paid staff members on the National Links Trust team, but um, today pretty much everything has been done on a volunteer basis. And um, we're committed to trying to, trying to get this done um, well, but um, really uh, the, the, you know, the, the end user, the golfer, the community member is the person that's going to benefit. So presuming everything goes well with the negotiation for the lease, what can people do? Um, you're obviously going to try to raise some money. Like, tell us what type of opportunities might be out there for, uh, for uh, patriotic, passionate golf, golfing philanthropists. Uh there have been any number of people who have, who have reached out since the announcement offering their assistance on a volunteer basis. And we're trying to sort through all, all of those wonderful offers. Um, and, you know, we, we are certainly going to enlist a lot of those people to help us out on various components and uh, facets of, of what we need to do going forward. But and as you said, money, money is always helpful. And so um, donate donations are, are, very much appreciated. And uh, if you go to nationallinkstrust.com, you can see um, a couple of different spots where you can you can donate. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to be involved on a larger level, you know, please, please reach out. And um, we, we are looking for, for help all, all across the board. Yeah, uh, I was just gonna say you can um, reach out to team at nationallinkstrust.com. Um, with with interest in getting involved, and we'll get back to you that way. Great, great. The are you guys surprised at all at this overwhelming response from the golfing community? I mean, did you did you see this coming before it all happened, or is it just uh, no? I mean, knowing what you know, and obviously the history that you both have in the game and understanding architecture, are are you in the least bit surprised that people really kind of start coming out of the woodwork to really? support what you're doing i think it's a i think there's a lot of factors at play there that it's surprise it is a little bit surprising the kind of level of support but just the fact that people are really into it um and, and want to help isn't too surprising because i think it, there's a convergence of a lot of of factors i mean we there are people who are kind of you know, the golf architecture nerd set, which I would count myself as a part of, <laughs> that, um, you know, hear about Doak and Hans and Wellig and Kaiser and think, oh my God, I can't believe that's going to be part of like a public golf course um, complex in, you know, in an accessible location in the city. You know, that there's that element of it. There's the, um, just the idea that a lot of people share a history of growing up on courses like this because they are at the center of like a large population of people and and then so accessible to so many people that a lot of people share that personal connection to to golf courses like these and want to see good things happen to those types of places um i also think there's just a general movement to um you know be like going away from golf as a something that's well known for being like a private club, uh, wealthy person's pastime that, uh, you know, people are excited to be able to show that golf is more, a lot more democratic than that. And um, so like to have something that makes that manifest, you know, is, is something that people like to, 
you know, and obviously reasons that we want to be involved with it. Um, so I think that people connect to it for, for those reasons and, and more. But um, yeah, the scale of it is still always surprising to, you know, get so many people excited and, and actively offering their help. I think you're also underestimating the fact that it's the nation's capital, or at least, or at least among you, the things you just listed. You know, if this was Boston or Atlanta or Chicago, we'd all kind of be excited about it. But, you know, it's our nation's capital. Everyone visits there. When you go there, no matter where you're from, it, it it's it's your home to an extent. I think that type of, you know, everyone goes on their pilgrimage to D.C. And, and I think there's something just so terrific about three courses in the city uh, with some art, each with an interesting story. You know, yeah. I, I, to me, that's think, just um, fantastic. I think we, we didn't, because each of these courses and facilities has such a great history, it's easy to get lost in one of them, like East Potomac, where we've already delved into a ton of, you know, what makes it special. But the other two courses could take up just as much time and are just as important to kind of the golf in DC as a whole. And so I don't want that to get lost in all of this either is like you, you asked to, um, you know, kind of describe what makes each of them special. And, and you know, we talked about that for East Potomac, but I mean, yeah. How about Langston and Rock Creek? Talk about yeah. their, their great things that they have going for them. Yeah. I mean, there's at, at Langston, um, you know, the, the primary, uh, you know, part of its history that is incredibly unique and special is, you know, the uh, connection to the African American community uh, of golf in the area, which goes back to um, a pretty rudimentary nine-hole course that was around the um, the Lincoln Memorial, which ended up having to be closed because the area was getting you know, really busy back in the late 20s. And there was a acknowledgement by the DC government at the time that a replacement needed to be built, uh, but it didn't happen for a long time. And in the meantime, there are a lot of issues with, um, you know, uh, segregation and its impact on, you know, African-American golfers ability to play at the other courses in DC. And, um, you know, meanwhile, the, uh, the golf clubs, there are two of them um, that are currently still in operation. Um, the Wake Robins, which is a female group, and the Royals, which is a male um, club, you know, have been, you know, they, they were founded back uh, at the golf course that was um, at the Lincoln Memorial. And, and they are still playing out of Langston today. Um, so a home for Langston was, uh, was built in 1940, and um, it has just hosted an incredible um, array of of people in um, you know that are that are very important to the you know African American golf community nationwide. Um, you know for um, you know over those 70 70 plus years um, since Langston was built, but also just the community around it. Um, has has really thrived uh, and and developed a really unique culture there um, that involves uh, a lot more than golf. So uh, and it's, you know, a, and it's a great setting for golf. Um, yeah, it is a it, it's in one direction. You, you you when you look sort of back towards the clubhouse when you're on the golf course, you you have, it's definitely an urban view. And then when you look in the other directions, um, there's sort of uh, forested, low rolling hills in the distance, and so. Um, you're, you really feel like you're, you're out in nature. And then the back nine is the beginning of the back nine is routed onto Kingman Island, um, which is lies between the Anacostia river and Kim, Kingman Lake. Um, currently right now, when you go out there, it's so overgrown that you wouldn't know that there were bodies of water on either side. And that's one of the things we want to address very early on. Um, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful setting and, uh, the routing works pretty darn well. And, um, you know, we look forward to improving the golf course um, and uh, the ties to the community there. Right. So East Potomac Park will be done is the reversible one by Tom Doak and Langston. Who will Langston's architect be? That's Bo Welling. Bo Welling will do that of uh, the Tiger Woods 
golf design fame there. And then, uh, I mean, very, but very quickly. So that's, you know, what is the sort of, uh, opportunity for tiger to play a role in this? Is, is that part of your sort of long plan here? We'll, we'll take his phone call for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. And then, and then rock Creek will be, will be Gil Hance. Yeah. And so rock Creek, um, and it was a, originally a William Flynn design, um, you know, the golf course there, but Rock Creek, as opposed to the other two courses, which have, uh, river settings and it's two different rivers. The Langston is on the Anacostia and East Potomac's on the Potomac. Um, so they have definite, you know, uh, differences in terms of their character, but Rock Creek is, is within the Rock Creek park, national park in the city, which is a massive, it's, I think it's the largest, um, you know, a uh, park in a, in a city in the country. Um, and the golf course is um, kind of split in its character. The front nine as it exists now is in an open kind of uh, former farm, uh, you know, field. And then the back nine is routed through some steep, uh, <laughs> steep woods. It, it may not even be, you know, it, it is mostly woods, you know, at this point, because it's 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 very overgrown and there's not a lot of sunlight that actually reaches the ground. It's not green <laughs> grass, um, but the land is pretty darn cool. And uh, when you're out there, just like on on the other courses, you have, a, have an excellent sense of place. And not only that, you can easily see a great golf course existing there. Um, you know, our plan involves. Uh, restoring as much of the William Flynn course as we can, which basically equates to nine nine holes. Um, and then um, in the remaining space, building a par three course and a driving range. Uh, all of those things that kind of fall in the general category of golf you can play in two hours or less, which, um, you know, we think is, is pretty uh, appropriate to kind of the time constraints and, um, you know, other things that are going on and, you know, the way people experience golf nowadays. And where it's located in the city, um, there are uh, a huge number of juniors um, that we think will be drawn to Rock Creek um, to hopefully learn the game or become more invested in it and, and become lifelong golfers. Um, so that's a huge component of what we want to accomplish there. And, and then just in terms of community engagement, um, it, it, I live not too far from there. Um, a lot of my friends uh, don't even know that it's, that there is a golf course there. Uh, there's a sort of a, a very simple clubhouse that doesn't do, uh, doesn't have a whole lot of services and certainly no services that would be of any interest to a non-golfer and so we would like to to, to work on that and uh, make it much more part of the community, make it for a place where you know non-golfers could bring their kids and uh, you know have a grilled cheese and maybe a glass of wine and let the kids run around some some beautiful uh, natural space rather than the, the urban environment that that is just on either side of uh, Rock Creek. So um, you know much, much on the lines of what what uh, Winter Park 9 has done um, and places like Goat Hill. And uh, it's not just uh, about welcoming golfers, it's about welcoming uh, various uh, people from the community to try to enjoy these wonderful uh, natural spaces. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, they're they're national parks. They're they're places that we want to be experienced by a wider variety of people than just those playing golf and there's such great opportunities you know to both show golf in a good light by bringing people on on site as well as just um you know create a a mix of people that's that's wider um you know that that are able to you know spend time out there tell us about the uh the buildings i noticed in one of the images of east potomac there's that beautiful kind of you know greek roman columnated building are are the are those structures part of the are sort of preservation of any of any clubhouses included in the lease or is there anything to save or preserve yeah each of the properties are on the national register of historic places so um the east potomac clubhouse um it's the it's actually 
you know, the technical term there is a field house, um, is, is a protected structure. Um, so whatever we do there, we are, you know, um, incorporating the, you know, the building, which is iconic really as a golf course clubhouse, it's pretty, uh, you know, special and unique. Um, and so our job will be to kind of, uh, work with the existing structure to, you know, provide the best, um, you know, house for the golf facilities that, that it can be, um, you know, at the other courses, there are, you know, a bit more modern structures that don't have the historical significance of, um, of the East Potomac clubhouse. So there's a bit more leeway in terms of what we can do with them. Um, and certainly our goal is to make investments in the properties that, um, you know, kind of maximize the, you know, community's ability to use them for a variety of purposes and the, the current structures definitely don't maximize the, you know, uh, you know, their space. Uh, so I think we're going to take direction from the park service and, and the various elements of, you know, stakeholders of kind of people who have input in terms of what can and can't be done at each property because they're on the national register. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the general, uh, overview in terms of what, um, you know, we, we want to accomplish and what we can accomplish with, uh, you know, preservation as well as then making kind of investments in more modern facilities. I was just going to ask uh, for you guys, like, what would be like a, a, perf a perfect example uh, of, a, of a tournament at each, at each venue? Like, I know, Mike, you've always said, you, you know, you don't want this to become like a U.S. Open venue or go for that type of Augusta a moonshot of a renovation but you know in, in your minds like how do you see when these are thriving the type of sort of competitions and and professional or an amateur events that might take place the first one that comes to mind is that i think it would be really really um cool to have a historically black college and university event at langston the Howard University golf team is going to use Langston as its um, home course, and they're, for the first time, establishing a golf team there. Um, so we're going to be, yeah, I mean, we're extremely excited to be working with Howard to, you know, provide a facility um, for them to, to practice and play out of. Um, and so I think just uh, as, like, the first event that would make sense and and just be, um, very cool to see would be something along those lines. Um, Will, you have any ideas at uh, the others? Uh, Colin, how about, a, how about the junior, DC junior match play at Rock Creek, huh? There you go. Love yeah. it. Nine hole matches, you know, maybe kids under 13 or something like that. Uh, I think, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, and, and down at East Potomac, you know, it, it's, you know, I think it's too early to really say, um, you know, the, the blue course, footprint is not large enough to host a major tournament and it's not something that we're setting out as a goal um but could it host um some some really cool stuff yeah it, it, and it's just you know i think it's too far away to to really you know project what that might be but you know we're we're talking with the you know usga we're talking with the pga of america about these projects and you know would love to you know figure out a way to work with with them on on bringing some sort of tournaments to, to each one of these places that would that would you know further each one's identity and and help help uh, bring people to the game. When do you see the golf courses being finished? Like when can we maybe have a silver club event at one of these? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're ready to go right now, uh, <laughs> uh, Steve. You know, it's really too early to speculate. Um, you know, we put forth a timeline in our proposal. Um, which was pretty aggressive, um, but you know this is this is a it's a different world than when we made the proposal. It is um, you know we are dealing with uh, the federal government, and we look forward to that process. But you know it, it is um, rife with adventure. So you know I, I don't I don't really want to go on record as saying when we think each one of these is going to get done. So um, 
you know, our, our hope is to get to them as soon as we possibly can. Well, that, we're looking forward to that very much. And you've been more than generous with your time. But before we let you both go, I just wanted to reiterate a quote from your website I thought was very interesting. You say, our first project is focused on the extraordinary opportunity to improve the golf courses and enhance the facilities at the three municipal courses in our nation's capital. So when you say first project, if this kind of maybe goes to somewhat to plan, where do you see this concept going? Do you envision a lot more possibly in the future, 10, 20 years down the road, maybe? Um, yes, the, the simple answer is yes. Um, we obviously have, have bitten off a lot here and uh, are going to be focused on DC for the for the foreseeable future. But we do believe that um, if we can create a model for others to follow, that we can be involved um, all all across the country. And part of the reason why we're the National Links Trust, not the Washington DC Links Trust. Um, there there are so many great municipal golf courses across the country that are in need of, of some tender loving care. Um, There's so many cool ideas and concepts being put forth, um, you know, by people like Andy Staples. We want to help amplify that message. We want to help protect architecturally interesting uh, municipal go- golf courses through, through uh, any attention that we can help uh, put, put on them. Um, and so, yes, uh, right now we're focusing on DC, but we, we really believe that, uh, a municipal national movement is needed for the game of golf to ensure um, that it, it exists. Um, if we, if urban golf courses, if municipal golf courses dry up, then uh, the game is going to become very small. And, it, and it's not a game that I think anyone on this call really wants uh, to see. So we're, we're going to work our hardest to make sure that those avenues into the game are still there. Well, I know we have a course here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I live called Reynolds Park. Uh, Perry Maxwell originally designed that and it's uh, it's gone a little by the wayside, but maybe, uh, maybe you could slide down south in a few years and uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty neat. Pretty neat what you guys are doing. That's that's some architectural significance. Any Perry yeah. Maxwell, of course, <laughs> checking out. Well, well, look, we we thank you both for your time and your dedication to the game. I mean, it's you know, for me being a public course kid my whole life, it's so heartwarming to hear two people who are so involved with with revitalizing and and supporting this great game that we all love. So, thank you for your time and your efforts, and we look forward to seeing everything you've got coming down the pipeline real soon. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Colin. A big thanks once again to Will Smith and Mike McCartan for taking the time out of their busy schedule to talk to us about the wonderful rejuvenation project that they have on the table in our nation's capital. These three golf courses and the game of golf are going to be much better off for their involvement. So thank you, Will and Mike, for all of your efforts. Again, you can check out their information if you want to get involved on nationallinkstrust.com on the web. I know they can use your help. And once again, don't forget to subscribe and don't miss one single episode of the Silver Club Podcast. We thank you for downloading this one and we look forward to bringing you another Silver Club Podcast real soon.